This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for the 18th Sunday after Pentecost, September 26, 2021, offered for the Ames Retreat Gathering at Camp McDowell. The principal text for the sermon is the final section of the book of James, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, about prayer, and Mark, um, chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. I think sometimes as a people of faith, we forget that the foundation of our relationship with God is prayer. Whether it is a lament in times of trouble or a song of praise and thanksgiving or prayers of I'm sorry or help or even prayers of silence and listening, prayer is how we speak with God. It's also a foundational part of the ministry in the church. And not just ordained ministry, but we make lots of promises throughout our life as Christians in our, by virtue of our baptismal covenants, right? We're all ministers and in the church. And when we are baptized, perhaps a less quoted line, because we often like to quote the seek and serve Christ in all persons, respecting the dignity of every human being. I like to quote the fact that one of the first things we do is to renounce the devil and all the evil forces in this world. But one of the other promises that we make as part of our baptismal covenant is that we promise to continue in the prayers of the church. And this continues on if you take on different parts of ministry in the church. When you are ordained a deacon, you're going to be asked, will you be faithful in prayer? When you are ordained a priest, you're asked, will you persevere in prayer? Presuming that since you were ordained a deacon, you agreed to keep praying. And as a priest, we're going to ask you to double down and say that you're going to pray. And even when we consecrate a bishop, one of the questions that they have to answer is, will you be faithful in prayer? Of all the things that separate the different orders of ministry in the church, the one thing that we hold absolutely in common is prayer. And I think as you've heard all through this weekend, right, as you move into this new life of ministry in the church, that prayer should permeate everything that you do. Now, when we put something in a vow, Right When we put it in the baptismal covenant, when we put it in the ordination vows, when we put it in wedding vows or other sort of promises we make in church, something usually makes it into a vow because one, it's really important. And two, it's really hard to mess it up. And so we have to take those two things together and we put something front and center to make it a promise that we make to each other and before God. It's something that needs to be protected and that we need as a touchstone. Prayer, particularly for ordained people, is one of those things that is often so easy to forget and to push aside because of all of the other things that we have to do. The people we have to see, the budget that needs to be balanced, the worship that needs to be planned, the food pantry that needs to be open, the people that need to be seen in the hospital, 
and prayer oftentimes is really easy to move down our to-do list. But it's important to remember that it is a foundational part of what we are called to do and who we are as a people of God. That the one definition that we hold beyond our belovedness in God is that we are a people that pray. In our reading from James, we get to see the power of prayer, right? James says very clearly that prayer can save the sick, prayer can forgive sins. For a book that is often maligned as being focused on works righteousness, James is blowing that convention out of the water. And if we think about how the whole book of James has been structured, James starts with a challenge to us to welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save us, right? That's how James starts. And then the rest of James that probably deacony folks particularly love and maybe more less deacony folks sort of cringe at because there's a lot of works in there. James believes that all that follows in the book is based on the fact that we have had a transformative experience with the word of God and we believe that the power of God can actually save us. And so because we believe that, then we do these things. And James ends his letter with the reminder of what is the foundational ministry of the church, which is the power of prayer. In some ways, prayer is our salt. Right? Jesus says we should have salt within us. In another version, he says we should be salt. And he challenges us with the question of what good is salt if it loses its saltiness? And that's because when you break apart the molecular compound of salt into two different things, it no longer does what we think salt is supposed to do. Salt is sort of a funny thing, right? When salt is working, you maybe don't even know that it's there. Because salt in a dish that's properly seasoned actually makes the other flavors more palatable and more noticeable. It makes the dish taste better, not because you can taste the salt, but because you can taste the tomato or the cucumber or the greens or the pork or the whatever the salt is being applied to. And so in a similar sort of way, prayer is our salt. Maybe you don't see it. Maybe because we're not standing on street corners praying out loud. But if we don't have prayer, just like if a dish doesn't have salt, we know that something is missing. And if we don't have prayer, then we begin to see sort of a corrosive effect on our ministry and our relationships with each other and with God. And so I think when Jesus is giving sort of this increasingly shocking list of things um, that we hear in the gospel and then ends with sort of this call of, what use are you if you are my disciples if, if you don't have this sort of foundational love and relationship and understanding of who I am, then you're as worthless as salt that has lost its saltiness. You will do lots of things over the next year. You will go in and walk into lots of strange places and meet new people and you'll be challenged to sort of find new ways to point to God and to Christ in the world. And you will, I feel certain, find yourself standing somewhere where you don't know what 
to say or do. And I think part of what that passage from Sam Wells that we read yesterday, that talking about that the clergy collar is a symbol to the world that says, I'm always ready for whatever you're ready for, is the understanding that even if you don't have the right witty response or the solution that can fix everything, the one thing that you do have is prayer. And if you hold on to that, then you really are ready to go as deep as somebody is ready to go. Because in that moment, you're not trusting on your ability to be their minister. You're trusting on Christ's ability to be there in the moment. I'm very thankful that we have had 24 hours, a whirlwind romance here at camp, and to be together And I'm also very excited and looking forward to the coming months that we have in formation, the coming months that I have to support you as you begin your ministries. And one thing that I hope that you take from this weekend, this understanding of what is sort of our salt as Christians, what holds us together, what makes us to where we can empower and enliven the people around us, is absolutely rooted in this vow that was said either for you at your baptism or that you said and that you're going to say again and again is we must continue in the prayers of God's people and offering them in thanksgiving and joy and sadness and lament and sorrow and even in silence when we open ourselves to listen to God speaking back to us. So be salty in all that that might mean. Be salty in your ministries. Amen. Amen. Amen.